0: Hello, my friend. This is Greg Hennett, bringing you more water from the rock. Today's devotional is entitled, No Jewish Bridegroom Would Do Such a Thing. My friend, in ancient Jewish wedding customs, during the period of the betrothal, we would call it the engagement, a young bridegroom proved his faithfulness and his love for his wife by building a room for them in or adjacent to his father's house. This room was called the bridal or wedding chamber, or in Hebrew, the chuppah. His betrothed bride, meanwhile, proved her love for her bridegroom and her faithfulness to him by living celibately, refusing all suitors during the betrothal, and waiting devotedly and expectantly for his return. Thus, love and faithfulness, or faithful love, Faithful love was at the center of their developing marriage union. If the bridegroom failed to prepare a place for his bride, he was unloving and unfaithful and thus unworthy of marriage. If she, on the other hand, flirted or had affairs with other men, she was unloving and unfaithful and so unworthy of marriage. And since Jews considered betrothal as sacred and binding as marriage itself, she could be divorced or even stoned as an adulterer. So we must ask an important question here. What is faithful love in the mind of Christ? What does he consider faithful love? Well, the scriptures will tell us. And three times in John 14, Jesus explicitly asserted that he equates love with obedience. Verse 15 reads, If you love me, keep my commandments. Verse 21, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And verse 23, If a man love me, he will keep my words. So there's not much question about that. In Jesus' mind, love means obedience. So we love Jesus by obeying him, primarily his word. That's what he speaks of in these three texts I just read. But also his guidance, which is sovereign and by the Holy Spirit, and his correction, which is so important in building character. And Jesus considers faithfulness to be our unswerving loyalty to him, and also our steadfast attendance to the duties, works, and ministries he has assigned us, whether large or small. Or, as he taught us, he that is faithful, loyal, and dutiful in that which is least is faithful also in much, and he that is unjust in the least, or unfaithful in the least, is unjust also in much." Luke 16 verse 10. So, we walk in faithful love when we obey Christ's word and steadily discharge our duties, ministries, and commissions. It's as simple as that. When a Jewish bridegroom's construction of the bridal chamber was finished, he returned for his bride his loving, faithful bride, and took her away to be wedded to him in his father's house. Now, by choosing this, the Jewish wedding custom of his day, to describe our relationship to him, Jesus was plainly teaching us some key lessons. First, he is our bridegroom, and we, born-again Christians, are his bride, or bride church. Second, This church age is our betrothal or engagement period. Third, when Jesus returns to catch us away in the rapture and in this age and take us to the marriage supper of the Lamb in heaven, he will be acting as a faithful, loving bridegroom returning for his faithful, loving bride. Now, by choosing this symbolism, Jesus was sending us this message. He expects us to do the duty of any faithful Jewish bride, that is, to love him by obeying him, and faithfully discharge the duties he has given us large and small. And, conversely, he explicitly promises to do the duty of a loving, faithful Jewish bridegroom, to love us above all others, and faithfully prepare a place for us in his Father's house. But you know, my friend, as I consider the general spiritual and moral condition of Christians today, I'm concerned, I'm very concerned. It seems clear to me that the implications of Jesus' instructions have not sunk in on this generation of Christians. In fact, some otherwise excellent Bible scholars and ministers teach that when the bridegroom appears in the rapture, as Paul described in 1 Corinthians 15, Philippians 3, Colossians 3, and 1 Thessalonians 4, all born-again Christians will automatically be caught up to be with him due to their justification, that is their legal or positional standing, their imputed righteousness, regardless of the way they're actually living. Hmm. Think with me friend, can this be true? Is it indeed biblical teaching? Or wannabe teaching? You know, we just wish it so, but the Bible doesn't say it's so? Well let me ask you, what do you think about this? Will Jesus come back for Christians who have consistently lived disobediently and unfaithfully? Who have given themselves over to live for the things of this world? The things that Jesus despises and shed his blood to free us from? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life? Will he return for believers who are not pure but impure? Believers who are not faithful, but unfaithful. Christians who are not committed, but carnal. No Jewish bridegroom would dare do such a thing. Upon discovering his betrothed had not loved him, but had instead been unfaithful to him, he would have refused to take her to his father's house to be his wife. And why? He expected a loving Faithful bride, a pure and true bride, not one who had been sleeping with every suitor that passed her way. And, as stated above, many bridegrooms would have divorced such brides, or worse, had them stoned. Will our Lord Jesus, then, who chose this very metaphor of Jewish wedding customs, when he appears, catch away Christians who have been living in a long, illicit love affair with this world? Will these unbride-like Christians receive the honor of dining with him at the marriage supper of the Lamb in Revelation 19, 7-9? Or the honor of accompanying him at his right hand when he returns at Armageddon? to slay Antichrist and his armies and assume his kingdom on earth? Not a chance. Not a chance. If an ancient Jewish bridegroom would not dare think of such a thing, then our divine Jewish bridegroom would not do so either. You see, the rapture of the church is not a grace-given gift, but rather a test one privilege. It is reserved for those who faithfully stay close to Christ and trust and obey Him in their tests of faith, patience, loyalty, and endurance. Now, the scriptures confirm this. For instance, Jesus promised His disciples that they would, quote, escape all, end quote, the events of the tribulation if they lived a spiritually worthy life by watching and praying always. He said this in Luke 21:34 through 36 In that same passage, with equal emphasis, he warned us that if we give ourselves to, quote, surfeiting and drunkenness, end quote, or the cares of this life, that is to indulgent living or putting the cares of this world before the priorities of the kingdom, we would not qualify to escape all. If all Christians were automatically taken in the rapture, he would not have placed these conditions on readiness for the event. Furthermore, Jesus promised the Philadelphian Christians that because they had obeyed, quote, the word of my patience, end quote, Revelation 3, verse 10, or, since you have kept my command to endure patiently, the NIV says, or to persevere, the New Living Translation states, that he would keep them from the tribulation. If Jesus intended to take all Christians in the rapture, regardless of how we're living, he would have said, because you are born-again Christians, I will keep you from the coming hour of testing. But my friends, Jesus did not say this. Why? No Jewish bridegroom of ancient or modern times would even think of such a thing. Take home an unfaithful bride? Become one flesh with a polluted bride? Give his heart to one whose heart belonged to others? Hope to enjoy life with a bride whose manner of life was totally unlike his? Not a chance not a chance, then this question looms before us, what will happen to carnal Christians when Jesus appears? Well, let me clarify something. They are not automatically lost or doomed to hell. Their salvation by grace alone holds firm thanks to Christ's imputed righteousness in their lives and God's faithfulness to his covenant. But they will be left behind, and that in God's mercy, so they may prove themselves faithful in the first half of the tribulation, and if they will be caught up with the vast Jewish harvest at the midpoint, described in Revelation chapter 7 verses 9 through seventeen. Now my fellow Christian, we should thank God for positional or imputed righteousness that's given us by grace alone, when we repent and call on Christ to save us. What a wonderful, joyous, eternal salvation we have. But after salvation, after salvation, yes, it matters how we live, what and who we love, and that we live faithfully committed to Christ, his word, and his call on our lives. Any Jewish bride would know this is expected of her and our jewish bridegroom expects it of us in paul's words that he might present it to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that it should be holy and without blemish ephesians 5:27 so in conclusion Let me end by saying, be of good cheer. Let's live obediently and serve Christ faithfully and watch confidently and joyfully for our bridegroom. Maranatha, the Lord comes.